Guys, thanks for tuning in to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Today's episode is going to be one that I've gotten a lot of requests for. I have a lot of listeners in the northwest part of the state, or excuse me, northwest part of the country, and uh, they asked me for um, some blacktail episodes. And so Michael Park uh, is someone that you guys are probably familiar with, with harvesting uh, many uh, bull elk with his bow, but he's also ever bit as passionate about blacktails. And I think he is a great place to start when doing a blacktail episode. And so I hope you enjoy getting to hear about blacktail hunting in the rut. And, you know, as a coos deer hunter, it's something that I can relate to, uh, you know, mule deer and our typical, you know, Midwestern whitetail deer for this country uh, typically get the most uh, airtime. But there's certainly guys that love blacktail hunting, guys that love coos deer hunting. And, you know, there's, there's, they, each, each animal has its own independent, uh, uh, ways that they, uh, that people like to hunt them and, and their own tactics and the animal have, uh, different behavior, but there's also a lot of similarity. So it's going to be a great episode with Michael Park. Uh, I want to thank you guys, the listeners for all your support and, uh, every day that goes by, I get questions and comments and great emails from people uh, that are listening and, and have questions or uh, giving me some positive comments. If you'd like to send me a comment, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. And I want to thank all you guys uh, for, for listening and all your support. I want to thank my sponsors, GoHunt.com Insider and DeadeyeOutfitters.com. These two companies have stepped up and uh, made this uh, podcast. uh, Without them, this podcast wouldn't be be able to be uh, aired. And I just want to thank them for their support. Uh, GoHunt.com Insider, if you haven't signed up, uh, they just launched their new filtering 2.0, which has got unbelievable harvest statistics uh, data. Uh, and soon to come are the draw odds data for all the uh, western states and that's going to be pivotal uh, with the upcoming application season uh, coming so uh, go check them out Uh, use the j scott promo code Uh, click on the blue join now button use the j scott promo code when you sign up and they'll automatically send you a 50 dollars kuyu gift card and I want to thank GoHunt.com for their sponsorship. Also want to thank DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Uh, they make uh, hunting t-shirts, hats, and hoodies. Um, there's been a great response from the J. Scott Outdoors uh, listeners. Uh, I get uh, emails about the great products at Deadeye Outfitters. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code when checking out and you get a 10% discount on all merchandise. Guys, thanks so much for your support. Uh, thanks for the positive comments uh, on iTunes and all the great ratings. And, uh, you know, the best thing you can do for me is uh, tell, tell your friends about this podcast if you haven't already. And I uh, just uh, thank you for your support. And let's get right to the episode here with Michael Park. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Michael Park. And a lot of you know Michael Park from shooting a bunch of elk and a bunch of big bulls. And Michael actually uh, passed a milestone this year and killed his 50th elk with a bow. And uh, you had a goal to kill 50 by 50, and you 
you made that goal. Today we're going to talk about blacktail, but Michael, how are you doing? Pretty good, Jay. How are you doing, buddy? Good. I was um, excited this September when I got your text and saw that you had killed your 50th elk with a bow. And I know we had done a podcast episode a couple months ago and you before elk season and you had made it you've made it clear for a long time to me that that was a goal of yours um tell me about getting that 50th bull and um the elation that you felt uh achieving your goal um it, it was incredible i mean it, it's just kind of a stupid goal the back of my 30s i thought you know what i could probably kill 50 of these things before i turn 50 so i got after it pretty good and um, I've actually slacked off the last couple, three years, but this year I had two tags and uh, went down to Nevada and killed a bull there. Um, didn't get a lot of time to hunt down there. Um, I had my grandfather pass away when I got to the unit, so that kind of curtailed my hunt a little bit. I called home and talked to my mom, and I said, you know, it, it, I'll be home in a day or two, Mom. Um, you know, and to me it was, is it worth 25 or 30 inches more antler? No. So... I found a bull, I killed him, and I got home. In the process of it all, I split my knee open with my Havilon. Um, a message to the listeners, put a first aid kit in your pack because you don't want to be in the middle of nowhere and fillet your knee. Were you by it. yourself, Michael? I was by myself. And just sliced it wide open. I know you sent me a text picture of it. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I uh, had just put a brand-new blade in. was just going across the top of the bull's shoulder. It slipped, and it just... I didn't even feel it. That's how sharp those things are. And when, you know, my brand new Kuyu pants split wide open, I pull them up and I can see my kneecap type of deal. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so <laughs> How bad was it bleeding? It didn't bleed a lot. That's what I was surprised. Um, you know, I figured there was going to be blood everywhere and I was going to be in a world of hurt, but it didn't bleed. So I knew I wasn't going to bleed to death. So I just kind of pulled it all back together and put some toilet paper on it and had some electrical tape kind of taped it up and went to work on the bull and got him all taken care of and talked some guys into helping me get him packed out and uh, run into some local guys and they were um, more than willing to help out. And I ended up in the ER in Twin Falls, Idaho at like 1030 at night and hobbled in there and, you know, it was, you know, turned out okay, but, um, Words of the wise, pack a first aid kit, be prepared for things like that, because the doctor told me an inch lower or a half an inch higher, and I would have really messed my leg up. Man, that's, that's definitely something for everybody to be listening to. So that was number 49, and then uh, tell me where you went to get number 50. I killed number 50 in Oregon, just a general tag. Um, hunting was really tough. Saw lots of elk, but they were just not rutting at all. I mean, they would bugle a little bit, um, but just they were not fired up. And finally, I think on the fifth morning, I got into a pretty big herd. There was about 80 head and uh, kind of bumped them and split them in half. And there was one decent bull in them that I was able to kind of, once I bumped them, they got into the timber out of the open stuff, and I could get in underneath them with a good wind and, uh, Slipped down underneath him, and he wasn't bugling at all, but I thought, well, maybe if I get right underneath him and his cows were all feeding, they were kind of all three sides of me. I gave him the pipe a little bit, and he bugled back, so I gave him the pipe again, and he bugled back a little harder, so I gave him the pipe, a few chuckles on it. That tripped his trigger, and here he came. And uh, he walked right into like 30 yards and started raking a tree, and as soon as he got into the tree and raking it hard, I just stepped to the side a couple steps, and had a great shot through his chest, shot him, and he went about 100 yards and piled up. 
Good for you. Yeah, I I got that text from you. I was actually sitting in elk camp and um, just started smiling. And um, Chris Rowe was actually in camp and he had listened to your podcast and I showed him the picture and he just started laughing and <laughs> and just said, unbelievable, 50 by 50. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just, you know, I'm just an average Joe and stupid goal I set and killed my 50th before my 48th birthday. So it's all it's all gravy from here on out. That's awesome, buddy. And um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, you and I got to hunt together in '09, and we uh, obviously had an unbelievable experience. And you shot a big giant bull. And Michael, where are you from in Oregon? Uh, a small town called Estacada, originally a logging town. Um, we're about 25 miles southeast of Portland, kind of backed up against the Cascade Mountains. Gotcha. And uh, you born and raised there? Yep. Yeah. And being born and raised there, Michael, obviously you've come out and hunted uh, coos deer with me and I uh, look forward to doing that again someday. Um, and you kind of understand the deer we live around. You know, we have mule deer and coos deer, but coos deer are very special to us. And um, tell me about blacktail and tell me about growing up with them and your love for, for hunting blacktails. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of like living with the enemy, I think, sometimes. Um, they're they're a cool deer. I don't think they get a lot of credit, um, you know, the credit they deserve. They're kind of like your coos deer, you know, the people in Arizona and western New Mexico and some of the guys that hunt into Mexico, you know, they that's kind of trips their trigger, and they grew up with those type of deer. Well, here we are in Oregon and western Washington and a little bit of northern California. We have these black-tailed deer that, you know, the rest of the world really doesn't understand. Um, they're a deer that doesn't come out a lot in the daylight. If they didn't rut, sometimes I wonder how we'd kill them. Um, a few guys can kill them in the summertime, you know, in the early archery seasons, but I haven't had any luck. Of course, I'm usually chasing elk that time of the year, and I save blacktail hunting for November um, in our late archery seasons. Michael, what separates a mule deer and a, and a blacktail? I mean, I'm familiar with black or with uh, mule deer. I've never hunted blacktail. Um, they have a lot of similarities. Tell me maybe some of the differences and some of the similarities. Um, I'd say some of the differences, body size, antler size, um, you know, I think what is a Boone and Crockett on a mule deer is 190. Well, a Boone and Crockett minimum score on a blacktail is 135 to give you a little bit of perspective on them. So that they don't grow a real big set of horns. Um, they grow horns a lot like a mule deer, shape-wise, configured-wise. Um, I think that's about where the similarities end. I mean, a mule deer lives in the, the wide open country or even in timber, where these deer will live in a patch of blackberries in your backyard and you'll never know they're there. Um, so they have a real tight range. Yeah, they, don't they, move they do. Um, we killed, I want to say in 08, we killed a couple bucks, me and a buddy, that my brother had trail cammed them all summer. And, you know, they were using the water guzzler and had great pictures of them all summer. And we killed them, killed them both the same day on the 4th of December in our late archery hunt in two feet of snow within 400 yards of the guzzler. Wow. Um, That's unreal. That's unreal. Um, and so blacktail, 
the the best time to hunt them would you say is during the rut or is that the funnest is it the most efficient time or the funnest time yeah it, it's the most efficient time i mean it's like anything we hunt if we can hunt them when the boys are chasing the girls they, they throw a little bit of caution to the wind and um tend to move a lot more in the daylight the bucks do um and it's just a little easier hunting um you know with the thick brush we're hunting in you know you kind of need a movement a little bit more it's not I mean, you can kind of throw glassing out in this whole deal. There, I know there's some places and some guys that are going to probably tell me, oh, no, you can glass here, you can glass there. But most of the stuff I hunt, you know, my glasses are around my neck, but if I can see 100 yards, I can see a long ways. Interesting. And how many blacktail have you shot over your life, would you speculate? Good question. I don't have a clue. Is it twenty thirty or is it? Yeah, somewhere 50? in that neighborhood, probably. Yeah, something like that. And in Oregon, uh, are the tags fairly liberal? I mean, can you get a tag every year or multiple tags, or how does it work? Um, the blacktail tags in Western Oregon, you you can just go to the store and buy one. You've got to buy it before, the day before the hunting season starts, but you can buy either an archery tag or a rifle tag. Um. And with that, if you buy an archery tag, you get most of the month of September to hunt, and then you take a break. The gun season is usually the first Saturday in October to the first Saturday in November, um, which that can be a real good time frame those last few days of the gun season. I mean, I would trade, if I was a gun hunter, I'd trade the first 25 days of gun season for the last five days of gun season because you're just approaching the rut, and it's that much better. And then, again, you can archery hunt usually from about the 20th of November, it varies by unit, to about the middle of December. And when is, if you had to pick, say, a 10-day window of the most peak rutting activity, when is that? Does it fall during a season? Yeah, it's it falls into the, as soon as archery season, I think our late archery season starts again this Saturday. Um, and I would say it's peak rut right now for the next 10 days. So from the 10th of November to the 25th is the yeah, best that's, two weeks? Yeah, that's probably the real meat of it. Um, you know, and there's always a few early and there's always a few late. I mean, I do like to hunt them the first week of December real well, too, because you kind of come out of a bunch of people that are all excited to hunt right off the gate, right out of the gate in this late archery hunt. They get all excited, and there's a whole bunch of pressure, and the deer go back to kind of nocturnal, and they get smart that they're getting hunted again. and you know, people start having bad experiences and not seeing much, and they leave the woods again. And I, you know, really like the first week of December, too. Tell me about the difference in private and hunting private ground and public ground. And um, obviously, you've done both, and maybe a little bit uh, which one you prefer and why. Um, I really don't care because I'm willing to go into the public ground. Um, in hunt places guys won't walk to. Um, you know, I've been doing it so long that I have places on public ground that are really good that I've figured out year after year after year of hunting them. And, you know, my grandfather on my mom's side teaching me some of these things. Um, that being said, I do hunt some private ground also. I mean, just because you have private ground doesn't mean it's going to be any easier. I mean, they're, they're really a nocturnal critter. Um, they don't take much pressure and, they'll move on or they will just not move in the daylight period. Um, what do you look for if you were trying to educate someone that doesn't n know anything about blacktails like myself and I was 
coming to look for a blacktail and trying to hunt? I mean, what are some of the things that you would say, this is what you want to look for in a, for a blacktail uh, buck spot? Um, these late seasons, I would say south-facing slopes, west-facing slopes. Um, also, I'll burn, if I'm in the forest, I'll burn a lot of gas if I'm just scouting. Just driving road systems and looking for rubs. These deer really like to come out and walk roadways and rub on alder brush and willow brush along the roads. And um, if they're rubbing on brush, they live there somewhere fairly close. I mean, that's a really good fast way. Is one way I employ is uh, to burn some time on the roads and just see where there's bucks rubbing and crossing roads. So if you found an area, let's say let's say you found an area um that had you know you saw what would be a lot of rubs like five or six rubs within a couple hundred yards would you go and set a stand somewhere nearby how would you pick the location where you're going to hunt those deer and do you hunt mainly out of stands or spot and stock um some of each um when the weather dick you know when it gets clear and cold and the ground is really noisy we've learned to sit stands and that's really effective i mean it's it's kind of brutal to sit there in the cold and with the humidity we have but if you can dress for it it's the most effective way when we have clear cold weather um, when it's raining and snowing i like to get out on the ground and hunt them on the ground kind of a still hunt spot stock um, i do a fair amount of rattling too and all this these deer rattle really well um, respond to rattles respond to um, doe bleak cans grunt calls they actually, you know, call up very well. So if you saw a bunch of rubs, um, you would come back there and let's say in the spot and stock situation, let's say the conditions were right, you would just kind of ease along and take a, take a couple steps and look with your binoculars and grunt. Tell me, kind of walk um, me through how. If I found a place, I, I, I'll use this for an example. I took a new guy a couple years ago. He'd never killed one of his bow. And it was the first week of December, and the rivers were all blown, so no salmon fishing. The weather wasn't strong enough to shoot ducks. So, And I was out of deer tag, so I pestered him to go because he had a deer tag, and we went. And I wanted to try some, a new place, and we started down this road. And, I mean, every hundred yards there was another willow bush that was tore up. And it, over a mile going to the end of this road, there was probably 30 rubs. So we parked, and... Uh, went about 300 yards down the road after that ended into September and set up and I started rattling and we had three bucks on us within a minute and a half and he ended up shooting one of them. It wasn't a very big one, but you know, it was his first one and he was tickled and he was just stunned that it worked. Um, but you know, I'll look for rubs. I'll employ trail cams on some of it, you know, try and look for the trails they're using on, coming to and from these rubs um, and maybe back up them off the roads and set up a tree stand um, or if it, you know, it's open enough country that a timber that I can hunt in, um, I'll still hunt in it too at the weather if it's raining and snowing. How are these deer, um, as far as I know, like the Midwest whitetail are real jumpy. They like to jump those strings and are real wary on the shot. How, how do these deer react? Um, some of them come totally uncorked when you shoot at them. They're gone by the time the arrow gets there. Um, and some of them just stand there and take it. It just varies deer by deer. Um, 
I mean, so I, you don't you don't uh, if you're up in a tree stand, you don't necessarily aim low. No, I I, the, I don't. I, I kind of aim the same on all of them, whether I'm in a tree stand or on the ground, or whether I think he's jumpy or not. I'll you know a third of the way up and right on the leg line. And uh, how do you how do you think these deer um, when you know so they're you're going to hunt a lot of scrapes um, and rub lines. Are they mainly running those rub lines at night, or is the country thick enough that they can run it during the day, during the rut, and not feel like uh, they're going to get pressure from humans? Um, they'll do both. I, I think they do a fair amount of it even during the day um, on these roads, because a lot of this stuff, they can just step off the road 10 feet, and you could drive by them, and you wouldn't even know they were there. Um, you know, on years we have snow on the late hunt, you can drive some of these roads and see where these bucks have walked a mile or two down the roads themselves. I mean, they actually will travel the roads a lot more than a guy would realize. Um, and that's always been evident when we've had a year where we've had snow to hunt and that you can see where these bucks will get out on the roads and they'll go, I've seen them go two and a half miles down the road and I don't know whether they're looking for a hot doe or does crossing the road or what they're looking for, but they'll get out on the roads and just walk. So. Interesting. It's one of those things you wonder if they're just changing country, going to new country, or if they're just trying to get in an open area and catch any doe that they can walking across the road. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think maybe they're just, you know, covering country as fast and easy as they can cover it to find their next girlfriend. Michael, let's take a quick break here and hear from our sponsors, and then we'll get right back into the blacktails. Guys, as you know, GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of this podcast. I wanted to tell you what a few other hunters say about the GoHunt Insider. Randy Newberg, host of Loopholds Fresh Tracks TV show, says, I take my elk hunting seriously. There is no such thing as too much information. There's plenty of old information. GoHunt Insider gives me a fresh look at information with hard data and lots of it. Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu, says GoHunt.com's goal is to help hunters spend less time researching and more time in the field. Mission accomplished. Brett Ross, the Colorado hunter that killed the 300-inch deer, it's the best $149 I've ever spent. Guys, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider, click the blue Join Now button, and use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout and they will send you a $50 Kuyu gift certificate. They will actually email you an electronic gift certificate by joining Insider now. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for being the title sponsor of this podcast. All right, Michael, what is it about blacktails that just gets you going? I mean, it. what is it? Is it the challenge? Is it the fact that you know all your buddies hunt them? What, what is it? What's the one thing that gets you going? Um... This is going to be funny, too. To hunt and hunt and hunt and beat your head against the wall, not seeing anything, not seeing any mature ones or, you know, that, and then to, you know, be going along and there is the white nose. The the one telltale fact of a mature deer is they have a real white nose, white face, and it just to look down and see that white face, when you see that, you know you're probably going to end up shooting this deer. And, uh, you know, some days you... You get to see it once or twice. Sometimes you don't see it for a week, but when you see that white face, it's just like, wow, there he is. You know, the, awesome. the ghost in the rainforest. You just um, harvested a buck, a uh, really nice buck. Is that one of the bigger bucks you've taken? Um, 
Yeah, he's he's getting up there. I've killed three or four that are a fair chunk bigger than him. Um, but, you know, he's a nice buck. I haven't put a tape on him. I'm guessing he's 118, 119, 117, something like that, which is a, a good deer. It's a real good deer. What's your best buck you've shot? Um, I killed one. Oh, it's been quite a while ago. That was he made when he was dry. He made Boone and Crockett by three eighths, so he's 135 and three eighths net. Wow. And do you primarily hunt these with a bow or or also with a rifle? Uh, primarily with a bow. And is that just because of the timing of the season, or just because you're a bow hunter? I'm a bow hunter. And um, our buddy Casey Brooks, a mutual friend, he would uh, he would say he wouldn't shoot anything with a rifle. He doesn't want to shoot it with a rifle. Are there times when you just say, screw it, I'm going to take the rifle out and get this done, or do you primarily just stick with the bow? Um, I primarily stick with my bow. I mean, I've gotten to the point that, you know, that's how I like to do it, um, is to archery hunt and Sometimes it'd be easier with a rifle, but I enjoy the bow hunting so much that, you know, I've gotten to a point in my life that I don't have to kill one. It's not that important. Um, And also the bow probably gives me a little better shot at the rut, too. So some of it is that. It's just it's a better time to hunt the animal. When the rut hits, I mean, are you out there every single day? Uh, No, i got to pay the bills, too. (laughs) (laughs) I wish there's there's days that you know that I'm stuck at work that I'd love to be hunting, but um, you know I try and weasel away enough time that you know I can be fairly successful at it. I know that you're an aggressive elk hunter. I, I you're what I would consider an aggressive elk hunter. How does that um, correspond with uh, blacktail hunting? And do you consider yourself a, an aggressive blacktail hunter? Um, you can only be so aggressive with them without blowing them out of the country and and unlike elk you know they're not running around bugling their heads off so i can cover a lot of ground you know you could go around them you could go another 20 yards that you can't see and there he is so you can't be super aggressive um i mean it's just a more slow it down take your time pick it apart um kind of like the same thing with your guys's coos deer hunting you got to slow down take your time look i mean use your eyeballs trust your eyeballs type of a deal even if it isn't long-range classing. I mean, it would be it's amazing what you can find even when you're still hunting using your glass inside of 100 yards. And if you see them first, it's a lot better deal. And if you see them first, are you going to then try and make a calling strategy to them, or are you going to try and slip up there on them? Usually, if I see them first, I'm just going to try and sneak on them and, and kill them that way. Um my calling is usually done, you know, blind sets either on the ground or out of a tree um, that way. But if I see them first, it's going to become more of a spot and stock type of a game. What do you think the biggest problem people, I mean, I'm sure you know people that hunt blacktails over and over and over and they're just not successful. What do you think the biggest problem or biggest mistake that they make is? Uh, hunting too fast, going too fast. It's really a game of slowing down. And when you think you're going slow enough, try and slow it down again another 100%. That's very interesting. And what kind of um, clothing, I mean, with you guys have 
rain pretty much all the time. Yeah, it's, um, uh, we hunt in the rain, you know, a good portion of the season or the snow. Um, and if I could ever find a rain gear that really worked, um, I'd be happy. <laughs> you mean from a keeping you dry standpoint or keeping you dry and being able to be quiet? Keeping dry and being able to keep quiet um, and ripping it up into blackberries and stuff. I mean, it's not uncommon to go through a set of rain gear a year. So you, the problem you have is the stuff that's is incredibly durable obviously is going to be loud and is going to not breathe and you're going to sweat like crazy in. Right. And then you go with the super lightweight stuff, uh, you run into the fact that it tears on every blackberry bush. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, if you're hunting on the ground and still hunting, you know, it's just the, the, your body sweat that you create, you're just going to get wet, plain and simple. There's nothing that keeps you that dry. I mean, what what do you do to keep your feet dry, or do you just or do you just get wet? Um, I wear a set of pack boots, rubber bottoms, leather uppers, oil them really well. Um, two sets of liners for those, so I can change them out in the middle of the day if I need to. Um, and I'm like, you know, I just take, you know, a change of, extra change of clothes every day in case I need it. But if you know at noon or if I stop for lunch or you know near the rig and I'm soaking wet, I can change. And getting some dry clothes on, you know, that always improves the attitude and the mindset, and you're going to go right back at it hard. Um, and we're also dealing with, you know, we only have this time of the year up here, we've got about, I don't know, what is it, nine and a half, ten hours of daylight. So it's not like you're stuck out there forever soaking wet, but, you know, you want to try and be comfortable. Michael, there's a an imaginary line or a, or a highway or something. And on the, this side of the highway is blacktail. And on that side of the highway is mule deer. What is that all about? Well, to me, it's about a bunch of people that don't know anything about the animal that they drew the lines that these lines represent. Um, there's a lot of places in Oregon where the line, a deer walks across the road or he walks across a trail, a national forest trail, and he becomes a mule deer. And if he walks back the other way, he becomes a blacktail. Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett really have some screwy boundaries in Oregon, and I believe that carries down into California to where the boundaries are pretty messed up. In Washington, I believe it's a Pacific Crest Trail, full length of the state, so it's more of a defined line on the deer that come off the west side of the Cascades or Blacktails if they go east, they're mule deer. Oregon, that is roughly the line for the, what the state considers a blacktail and a mule deer, um, but the Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett boundary in Oregon moves way west from the state boundary. Um, and like I say, some of these deer, I mean, they can they can walk across the Tulane County Road and they become a mule deer or they become a blacktail. Um, and I know I haven't looked at, I believe it's Pope and Young has done, and maybe Boone and Crockett has done some testing and some DNA testing on some of these deer, and they've found deer with mule deer DNA 20 miles west of their imaginary line, and they've found deer 10 miles east of their imaginary line that are 100% blacktails. So um, go figure on that one. Uh, In your mind, when you see a deer, can you say blacktail mule deer? I mean, you can, hunting them enough as you have, can you definitely say there's a fully distinct difference? Yeah, the, the body structure is different. Their heads are smaller on a blacktail. They're just not as big a deer. They're a little bit different colored. Their antlers just, you know, totally different. 
And, of course, the tail's a little bit different on them. Um, but for the most part, yeah. And on the boundary lines in the summer that the state has, they have it pretty much right on the deer that go off the west side of the cas or the east side of the cascades, excuse me, our mule deer and the deer that come off the west side are pretty much all blacktails. I don't know. Okay. I, I believe now you can, with some of this, you can challenge the boundaries with a DNA test. I believe you have to pay for it. And to, you know, you can send it in with your score sheet and a DNA sample. And, you know, if it comes back as a blacktail and you've actually killed it on the other side of the line, what would be considered a mule deer, um, and it comes back pure blacktail, I believe they will accept it in for entry into Boone Crockett, Pope and Young. Interesting. Have you hunted Oregon, Washington, and California, or just Oregon just for or, blacktail? Just Oregon, from one end of the okay. state to the other, um, quite a bit of the state. And no, I've never hunted them in Washington, never hunted them in California. From growing up hunting them as a kid to hunting them now, how would you say you've improved your hunting and, and what what do you do differently than you did when you were not as experienced? Slow down. Go slower. Patience. So you, you've hammered on that a, a lot in the fact that you, you know, you got to really go slow and you got to really make yourself um, look at every little thing and, and just slow down. That's Sounds like it's a huge um, tip there for people listening. Yeah, to me, I mean, if you see them, you've got you can make a play on. If they see you first, you're, you know, usually screwed. So you know that you're not hunting real high densities of deer per se ever. Um, I don't know what the amount of deer per square mile, but it's just you know, a good day's you see a half dozen deer, you've had a good day. So it's not like you're looking at a lot of deer or turning a lot of deer over. So. What's the rules in the different states about baiting? Um, can you bait these deer? Do people bait these deer, and how successful is it, or is it not allowed? Um, I believe in California it's illegal to bait them. Oregon, is, it is legal to bait them. Washington, it is legal to bait them. Um, and being as thick as it is, I would assume that a lot of people bait these deer because they're so few and far between as it is. Yeah, you know, it's... it's it's fairly popular. Um, I do some of it, um, more so in the low country on the private ground where you kind of have control of it and people aren't screwing with your stuff. You get too far up into the hills and you do any type of baiting program and you just end up with bears on your bait, which um, you can't do anything with them. It's illegal to bait bears here, so I don't even mess. When I go into the mountains, I don't even mess with bait. I only mess with bait in the low country, in the farm country. Gotcha. So it's kind of like um, people that think that bait fishing, all you got to do is use bait and you'll catch fish. That's not, not exactly. It's, it's not the case. I mean, the, the deer around bait are, are pretty cagey. And for the most part, you know, they're living in backyards and residential areas. And, you know, that it, it's crazy. They're just really, really sharp. You'd think you can see them in the yard that, oh, they're docile and dumb, and you can bait them 300 yards from your front door, and, boy, they get smart fast. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, how aggressive will these bucks chase does and chase off other bucks? Are they very, very territorial? Yes. I mean, they'll, you know, great fights. You know, I've never seen them fight, but you find some of the spots they fight in the woods, and it looks like a bomb has went off. And between deer hair, if there's snow on the ground, deer hair and the blood that's there, um, have killed them with broken points and stuff like that. But 
a lot of times, you know, you'll get lucky maybe once a season and get onto a hot doe that's got four or five bucks on her, you know, you know, kind of buzzing around her and one buck trying to fend all the little bucks off is usually what it is. And that's pretty magical when you get to see that. But, yeah, they're very aggressive. And can you hear bucks grunting from a long ways off in your tree stand? Um, I've only heard like two of them in my life. But the problem with me is I've abused my ears when I was younger with, you know, around farm equipment and loud motors and boat motors and stuff with Hey wait, let's let's be let's be honest here and and loud heavy metal music. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if it's I know too you loud, you're too old. <laughs> you can say farming equipment, but the real truth is yes, farming equipment, but playing the radio too loud too. Yeah, a few concerts too many, but I can't hear them well. Um they don't and from what I've heard of them it's a very soft grunt. It's really, really a quiet. It's not like some of these whitetails I've seen on TV that it sounds like you're out by the neighbor's hog pen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I've seen some of that too where it's just unbelievable where those bucks are just, you know, you could hear them from 200 yards away. Yeah, I, I, I want to say the first one I ever heard here, I was sitting in my tree stand and he grunted from probably 40 yards out and I thought it was a frog croaking. Wow. And he, well, and I think, too, it's so thick. I think like your your elk, too, that are bugling in the thick thick timber, I think the noise gets dampened so much it makes sense that, that you can't hear them as much as maybe you could in the open country. Exactly, exactly that. But And I have also heard a couple of them snort wheeze, and just because it was I was in, in a stand and had them underneath me in the dark. And, you know, I was sitting there watching them in your Swarovskis and have them snort wheeze at 15 yards below you kind of like wow i just heard that and that's you know what these white tail guys do on tv is like hey these deer do it too yeah that's unbelievable uh off the subject how's fishing season been this year uh and pretty good pretty good fall chinook season some really nice fish um didn't make it to alaska this summer but i believe next summer i'll be back up there um maybe for an extended version to make it for this summer, but no, it was a good fall. It's rare that you miss Alaska. <laughs> I know. It's, you know, it's rare, but I had a lot of stuff going on in my life and, you know, it was just time to buckle down and do that. And Yeah. Um, how is duck season uh, and goose season? Um, is it honestly, I haven't had a chance to get out because of fishing and deer hunting and work. Yeah. I kind of wait to do that once deer season's over with. Um, I forget who I was talking to, but they were telling me about uh, the bait uh, that you guys use for your salmon and how guys have their own secret little recipes and it's all, you know, you can be right next to someone and a guy's just hammering them and then another guy's not catching them at all and it all comes down to the bait. Yeah, it, it can be, become a pretty big factor here. And it's real secretive too, right? It's I mean, pretty like people secretive, have... and some of it isn't so much. Some of it's just screwing with people. <laughs> <laughs> you can get inside people's heads really well in that whole bait fishery, and sometimes that's half the fun of us just getting in somebody's head. Just because you're hammering them and they're not exactly. It comes down a lot of it comes down to presentation. Yeah. Um, did you see uh, Parker's deer that he killed on the strip? Holy smokes! That thing looked like a dinosaur. It was, you know, it was it was a really cool hunt, and Parker kept saying he he passed a bunch of really nice deer, and he just kept saying, "I just want to strip deer," 
And I kept asking him, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he said, just something big and gnarly. Big and gnarly. He got it. On the fourth morning, Dar calls me. He's like, we got a deer over here that's crazy looking. He said, I don't know that he'll score much, but he said he's a heck of a deer. And I got over there and could take a look at it. And it's one of those deers from the side, one of those bucks. You look from the side, and he's kind of junky. He's, you know, he's basically a three-by-three mainframe with a bunch of extras and what have you. I think he's got dang near 50 inches of mass. Wow. And, uh, you know, he's 30 and a half inches uh, inside spread. He's 35 and a half outside. And um, Dar, you know, Dar was like, this isn't going to be a huge scoring deer, Parker, but it's, he, you know, and Parker kept going back to, it's definitely a strip buck, Dad. I want to shoot it. And uh, <laughs> 312 yards, um, he's just a, uh, chip right off the old block and um he shot him four out of four times and uh just awesome buck he's just gnarly and heavy he's just got a couple uh cheaters and kickers he's a he's an awesome buck yeah it's, it's when you sent me the pictures it was like my jaw just kind of opened up and thought kid you're lucky <laughs> yeah. and i'm you're jealous get, yeah <laughs> you're getting pretty close you've got quite a few points for deer in arizona um as well yeah i think i'm, I'm up to for deer 16 for deer and sheep yeah well you'll uh you're probably gonna have to look at the archery hunt because being a non-resident um you know you're gonna have a tougher go and maybe maybe the archery hunt's the way to go but uh you never know they're talking about uh doing this change here where five percent of the tags go to uh non-residents with the most points in for that unit and then five percent in a total random draw and so i think being a non-resident and not having max points, obviously that's a great change for you because um, it gives you a chance. Whereas before, if you don't have max points for that unit, uh, you don't even have a chance to draw. Yeah, coming from outside Arizona, and you know, I can see it both sides. You know, some of these guys that are into some of these elk hunts a long ways, and all of a sudden this is maybe going to change in midstream. I can see them being bitter, but you know, on the other hand, when you're not a whole bunch of points into some of this stuff, or a couple points behind max um you know it's kind of nice to know that the money you're spending you have a chance instead of no chance yeah i think that you know i think we're going to see non-resident applications go way up because i think there's been some people that don't have you know a bunch of points feel like they don't even have a chance and you know i i i honestly think the change is good i think it gives more non-residents chance a chance and um you know i think the, you know, although there are people I know with a lot of points as non-residents, unfortunately, I think the best thing for non-residents is this change for sure. Absolutely, it, it went from a bonus point system to basically a, a pseudo preference point system. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's kind of nice. And it's, you know, as a non-resident, like I said, it's kind of nice to know that when I fork down the money for that hunting license and apply for an elk permit, I can go back to applying for premier units and have a chance however slim it is, I still have a chance instead of no chance. Yeah. Are you going to go down to uh, Mexico this year in January for deer or uh, not? Um, I'm trying, they're trying to talk me into going the first two weeks. I've got hunters that want me to guide them and an outfitter that wants me to go, but I'm also have something in, in the works as far as a job that if I can land this and I think I'm going to land it, um, I probably won't go. <laughs> It'll be a yeah, li- it'll well, be a life changer. So, 
Good. That's awesome. And what are your elk plans um, now that you've re reached the pinnacle? Do you feel like you're going to be as as motivated and as aggressive, um, or are you going to take it take it a little slower approach and just kind of see how it goes? Or are you going to still just pound it for elk? Um, I'm going to back off it a little bit. I know my out of state applications will be more so for really good hunts. I'll still hunt Oregon on my general permit. Um, and probably try and do some hunts with friends that I've never got to hunt with. I've got a bunch of buddies that are, hey, when are we going to get a go? And guys I'd really like to go with. And so it'll allow me to do some of that. I've got, I think I'm sitting on 16 or 17 points for moose in Wyoming and would like to kill a shiresmoose. moose. And um, this will also free me up. I think I'll free myself up to start spending some time hunting mule deer in Nevada and some of these places on early hunts in August because I've never been able to kill a decent mule deer. I'd like to try and get that monkey off my back. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, and uh, it's been great having you on, talking blacktails and talking other stuff. Uh, and I wish you the best uh, Best here. This uh, You've got another tag in your pocket, and you're hunting the rut here coming up, so um, you've got the best two, three weeks ahead of you right now. Yep, whenever you have a tag and you've got some time, you never know what can happen in the rut. That's awesome, buddy. Well, until I see you next time, God bless, and thanks for being on. Thanks for supporting the podcast and uh, being a friend of the podcast and a friend of mine for many years. Anytime, bud. You, you know you can call anytime. All right, buddy. You take care. All right. Talk to you later. Guys, thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I want to remind you to subscribe on iTunes and on Podbean, and I appreciate all your support of my podcast. If you would like to send me a comment or question, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can follow along our hunting adventures on Instagram at jscottoutdoors and our Facebook page, jscottoutdoors, and YouTube channel, jscottoutdoors, as well as our blog, jscottoutdoors.com. Thanks, guys.